Sportsnet 590, the fan. Fan morning show, Justin Nailish, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Busy day yesterday. Sometimes we leave this office and we're like, oh, we'll figure out what's going to happen. It's middle of July, end of July, not much happening Tuesday. We'll chat later. And then boom, (laughs) Bergeron retires. Boom. The biggest NFL contract ever in the world. Yes, sir. NBA contract to ever be signed. Boom. There was some NFL signings too. Boom. Blue Jays worst blown lead of the season. Boom. So that fills up real quick. We got lots to chat about this morning as we uh, kick off our Wednesday. Canada plays at 8 a.m. at the FIFA World Cup, by the way. So if you're up listening, you can get ready to tune into that in about two hours. We'll provide some live updates in our final hour of the show. But we certainly have lots to go through um, this morning. Uh, we certainly do. We have certainly a lot to unpack from that Blue Jays game last night. I don't Why know. Why do we say certainly one more time? I mean,. We certainly can. I, I try. Yeah, I, try. I mean, that was the easy one, and I couldn't come up with it. So maybe it's going to be a bad start for me. Ooh. But, uh, yeah, it, there's a lot to go through with that Blue Jays game because it was uh, a bit of a da- disaster there late. You stayed up for it. Congratulations to you. Well, I'm like one eye morning. open because I thought things were going smoothly for our Toronto Blue Jays. I thought, oh, okay, we're all good here. Like, you know, we can catch the end of the game in the morning. And then it starts to fall apart, and it's looking real icky when you fully get the grasp of the 7-4 lead that was blown in the ninth inning. And the ball's given to Eric Swanson, someone that you pretty much feel just not as confident, but pretty confident in if Jordan Romano's not able to pitch in the game. And a series, a comedy of errors, really, the way that this game ended up. Um, you can kind of nitpick a couple things. Eric, it's not really at the hands of Eric Swanson. Uh, he does get tagged with a lot of the runs that end up being... Yeah, There's a decent amount of Swanson. Yeah, no, no. no decent certainly a decent, amount of, a decent amount of Swanson. A pretty significant amount of Santiago Espinal. And then a cherry on top of everyone's favorite Blue Jay, Mitch White, coming in to end the game. So there's your trifecta of Brutal. In the ninth and 10th innings. Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, I guess we could go to the pitcher. We could go to the infielder. We could go to the manager. I'm going to go to management uh, mm. because, yeah, it was Swanson who gave up the four runs in the bottom of the ninth inning at Dodger Stadium, a big spot. Very, very disappointing, of course. Your chance to secure a series victory before even having to play the matinee this afternoon. That would be gravy. Great stuff. <laughs> it would be very, very good, and people would be feeling very good about this Blue Jays team this morning. Uh, but, you know, Swanson can't get it done, and where do you go next? Well, you go next to the guy who has not pitched, the only reliever who hasn't pitched in mm-hmm. this series so far for the Toronto Blue Jays, and it's Mitch White. You have nowhere else to go but Mitch White because you've gone through all your relievers to this point in what's been a pretty hard-fought series on the heels of another hard-fought series, and because you left Mitch White on this roster, you got the results you got. Of course, that doesn't excuse Swanson that doesn't explain Swanson it doesn't explain what happened in the ninth inning but you still had a chance to win this ball game and you put out the person the pitcher the guy who cannot give you anything and that you allowed to have still on your roster I mean they were begging 
for a result like this. They were begging for a situation where Mitch White goes out there in a tie game and you lose the game because you still had this guy on the roster. There's really no excusing it. They got what they deserved, I think, in this in uh, in this situation. And it sucks that Eric Swanson had to put them in that situation. Santiago Espinal had to contribute to putting them in that situation. But they asked for this situation and they got the result that was always coming with having a guy who cannot pitch at this league, at this level rather, in this league, on your roster for longer than you should have had him on. If you're going to be a serious baseball team and you have about uh, six days to really decide how serious you want to be, you cannot have areas of your weakness and, uh, of weakness on your roster, such as Mitch White. And I was listening to Show Ali on uh, Blue Jays Talk post game, and he had he had a great. Um, wow, you stand up for the post game too? On my drive in, I just I can't get enough Blue Jays baseball. Go to bed, Blue Jays baseball. You wake up, Blue Jays baseball. I also caught some Blue Jays in 30 while I was getting ready. Like, I just consumed all media in the last... It's the type of game you want to relive. In the last five hours of my life. Anyway, Show Ali's like... When you see Mitch White, it's like waving the white flag. Like, it's pretty pretty accurate. It 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 was game over. When you see that, once you you blow that uh, ninth inning lead, it kind of felt like, all right, the... The tables have turned. You're on the road. You're at Dodger Stadium. The momentum shifts significantly, and it felt like the second you saw Mitch White in the bullpen, game over. Yeah, and he was going to go until the game was over, right? Like exactly. he, It was kind of waving the white flag because <laughs> the Mitch White flag uh, because you were not you were not going to see anyone else. Mm-hmm. The only reason he was out there is because you were at the end of the line in terms of your bullpen arms anyway. So unless the Blue Jays miraculously outscored what the Dodgers were going to do against Mitch White, who threw five pitches, by the way. And, you know, the game was over. Five pitches. A a runner on base for Outman, who on the fifth pitch ends the game with a ball that I guess was not a home run, but could have been a home run. Kind of surprising Kevin Kiermaier didn't get that that ball. I know. And, like, yeah, there's there's blame to be spread on many people. But it was happening anyway. It was. And And, and I don't even want to single out Kiermaier because the next hit or the next ball that was hit uh, off Mitch White was going somewhere anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was resigned to the fact that the game was lost once Mitch White was out there. And if you've reached that point, you have no one to blame. You're not even blaming Mitch White. Mitch White's Mitch White. It's like putting me out there. It's not going to do anything. <laughs> Who's going to, who made the decision to put me out there? Management. Mm-hmm. It's on management's, it's on management that Mitch White, I guess maybe the coaching staff as well, that Mitch White is still here and in a position to punish you as a baseball team. And that's exactly what happened last night. Sportsnet stats, uh, Blue Jays suffered their seventh loss in franchise history when leading by four-plus runs in the ninth inning or later. First time since 2011. Only the seventh loss? Yeah. Wow. So you get to see some magical history moments last night. Tough. First time since... That's uh, tough for old Swanee. <laughs> tough. First time since 2011 versus Cleveland, so... All right. Um, San Diego Espinal, though, we did just bring that up. That statue moment, like, those are simple things. So I thought the Blue Jays were supposed to be a well... Um, attention to de- detail oriented mm-hmm. team. That's what we learned about it in the off season. That's what they talked about coming into the uh, preseason. They're at spring training and it was, we're not going to make tiny mistakes like this. We're going to be well-oiled machine. No errors on the base path. We're going to play smart, tight baseball. And Santiago Espinal is kind of on this team for what defense. Yeah, What's he providing I, offensively? I mean, I Not suppose. Much. I mean, he's a recent all-star. And, yeah, uh, you know, like do, you, do you get there just to, by making the smart play at second base when Eric Swanson's blowing up? I guess not. So there were some redeeming qualities to Santiago Espinal. 
uh, mm-hmm. in the recent history here, uh, but I'm not seeing them. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen them all year. And it's it, to me, it's like we've reached the point that uh, with him too, where it's, hey, this is another wasted spot on the roster. Like there mm-hmm. are no shortage of wasted spots on this Blue Jays roster. You look around, it's like, okay, you could add a lot of pieces at the deadline and not even blank. You could replace Santiago Espinal and not even blank. Same thing with Mitch White. Same thing with maybe a couple other arms out there in that bullpen. Like, there there are a lot of spots. Jordan Luplo's playing last night. It's like, uh, you know, you had Nathan Lucas the what entire year. What a stash year. on him, eh? It, it, that's, that's, that is a bold move for a guy just trying to, like, you know. Trying to fit in. Just trying to fit in. And you, <laughs> you're, he, you're he not stand, fitting in you know, that He stands out. You're standing out. You're not fitting in. Anyway, it's like there are so many spots on this roster, at the depths of the roster, where you could upgrade. Yeah. Even, even in the middle of the roster. Like, you could upgrade on Brandon Belt, sure, if you had a better bat in the lineup you knock down brendan belt there there's ability to upgrade all over this roster with only a couple days left before the deadline but with only a couple days left for the deadline to go back to your previous point i'm not really seeing much utility here from santiago espinal Mm -hmm. and if there's one thing if there's the bare minimum it's being on enough in a crucial late game scenario where you're not letting a guy do what you're right we were told the blue jays were going to do which was steal runs and do uh, you know, smart base running mm-hmm. and steal the extra base and make sure that you're capitalizing on just a moment's hesitation. That's what we were told the Blue Jays were going to do this year. And last night we saw the Blue Jays get punished for being on the opposite end of that spectrum where you're making the mistakes that you told us you were going to capitalize on yourself. A good point here in the text line, um, 590-590, how's everyone feeling this morning? Uh, less than a week to the trade deadline. Seems like we discover a couple more holes, a couple more areas of improvement. Uh, when you see games like last night, disappointing loss. Um, this text here, another blown lead. They blew two against Seattle. The relief pitching has blown so many leads this year again. Seems like this happens every year, and the GM still doesn't think it's a problem. Can I, can I run down what the just the whole entire bullpen landscape from two games so far? You in LA? certainly can. Because I think it you can basically look at it and be like, okay, they need two arms minimum, mm-hmm. right? If this is going to be a team that is going to survive the rigors of September baseball, October baseball, be able to go out there every night and have something when there's late game scenarios, games that are going into extra innings where you need bulk arms, mm-hmm. they just don't have it. So 11 innings of relief pitching so far, and not even really 11 innings. It's 10 plus five pitches for Mitch White, but we'll go 11 innings that they've needed to work. Three of those innings have come from who? Yenesis Cabrera, a guy who's looked pretty good too. A guy who's looked really good, and, and I, great. I, I love those Unsung two innings. Unsung hero of the second half. I love those two <laughs> innings, but it's a guy that you picked up for basically nothing. Who was DFA'd, right? Who was DFA'd this year already. <laughs> Who has been, who threw, or yeah, who soaked up three of the 10 innings so far mm-hmm. and you needed all of them. Yep. Okay. So three innings for Yenesis Cabrera, two innings for Jay Jackson, who's 35 year old journeyman who we all love and we want to see more of as well mm-hmm. and did a spectacular job against the Dodgers in game one. But so far you haven't used anyone who'd be considered penciled into your leverage bullpen scenarios at any point. And again, these are two games against the LA Dodgers in LA. So, Yenesis Cabrera, Jay Jackson, five of the ten innings so far. One for Jordan Romano, nine pitches, your all-star closer. I get that he wasn't available yesterday, but one inning, nine pitches from Jordan Romano. One inning inning from Tim Meza, not even one inning from Trevor Richards. One inning, disaster for Eric Swanson. One inning and a little bit for Jimmy Garcia. And, of course, they had to go to Mitch White. So, they used everybody. Mm -hmm. 
and they were left with nobody because Mitch White was the last that had to appear in this series so far. But think about what you needed. If you didn't have Yenis' Cabrera doing three innings, like where was it going to come from? It was going to come from Mitch White eventually anyway. So there are spots here. Clearly, you could have seen more if they didn't go through a taxing weekend in Seattle from Richards or Romano, so on and so forth. But you put yourself in a position where you're asking a lot from guys that you shouldn't be asking from at all in a big series against the Dodgers. Well, I will say Chris Bassett, like he usually can pitch more than five innings. He ended up with a really high pitch count, 105 pitches before he was pulled yesterday, only five innings. Like that's a trickle effect of this. Um, I don't think we could hang a lot on the starting pitching lately as a, as a, you know, they have been one of the steadies this season, I'll say. Um, They've been great all year. And so I think people are running into a little bit of You can't get six, seven innings every time from your starter, though. You can't. Um, Running into a little bit of fatigue, I think. Um, Okay, positives, though. There are some positives. We're already at positives? What else do you want to say? I mean, I feel like when we keep going, we'll get to some more negatives. But we can can mix it a positive. Go for um, it. I was yesterday talking strongly about my feelings of George Springer as of late. Okay. And so him not playing is a positive? Management heard me and they pulled him from the starting you lineup. You think it was just a rest day? And they said, oh, they're spitting heat and on this the fan like morning a, show. feels like a personal positive Sports rather than a positive for the Blue Jays. Spitting heat at 6 a.m. Okay. Let's give George Springer a rest day. And Whit Merrifield looked dynamite up there. Mm-hmm. My guy, Whit. Our guy. Don't take sole possession okay, of Whit. You can have him too. Thank you. He looked instantly just at home in the leadoff spot. First at bat, a double. I'm like, oh, it's going to age so well. Anyway, I mean, Springer <laughs> getting some, getting a little bit of rest. He did end up having to perform. Um, Bo Bichette did that previously the night before and played lights out yesterday. So maybe they found a way to give some of these guys some rest because they're going to go like 17 and 17 down the stretch. Like there's a, there's a long run ahead where Better they play, that bullpen, they play a lot of baseball coming up. So nine may, pitches from Romano can't come out for the second straight day. Maybe we see, I don't know. I'm not going to say Vladdy today, but maybe we see somebody else get a day where they get a little bit of rest before they go on this lengthy stretch. But I like Wit in the leadoff spot, and I'd like to see it again today. Interesting that I you're doubt- mixing in rest in LA. Like I'm a little, I'm a little bit more annoyed than I thought I'd be today. Okay, but I get it. Uh, I, the bow rest it worked, it worked, I guess. And these are half rest days because George Springer came into the game. And, and what George Springer's getting booed and like we're sad about it. Like whatever, be a professional, and play baseball. Are we sad about it? No, but there was conversation that oh, you know, he's it's hard for George Springer. He's getting booed at Dodger Stadium. Come on. I know. Whatever. We get booed in the text line, and I don't take a day off. <laughs> no, Anywho. we don't. We don't. We, well, we did get load management <laughs> earlier this yeah, month. They, so they moved us off. Our 17 of 17 was they just like, you know, 10 anyway, straight months of mornings. Keep anyway. weight up there. Keep weight up there. Okay. Uh, you know what? I was listening to show Ellie as well because it is must-listen radio on my way in. Lead or off podcast. Lead and off someone, a, a texter uh, laid out a pretty intriguing lineup. It mm-hmm. included George Springer uh, batting fourth. I saw that. Uh, they were talking about, okay, well, you have your second all-time leadoff home runs, and you can't move up to first and like, unless you just hit home runs to start every game uh, for eternity because uh, he is that far behind. Uh, and maybe he would be okay with it. It doesn't seem like he would be okay with it to me. I, maybe mm-hmm. I'm not in that same camp. But, like, it's... It's not clear who your top four are, but it's clear 
who I'd like to see as your first four batters, and Whit Merrifield is one of those guys. Yes. And he's not going to be hitting cleanup for the Toronto Blue Jays. No. So if he's going to be in the top four, he's got to hit, I guess, leadoff uh, or second, I suppose. But, uh, you know, I'm a Whit guy. Like any mm-hmm. any promotion I mean, for Whit, I'm going to get behind. one of the best hitters on this team. He has been. Consistently. He's been fantastic. And he made a nice defensive play last night mm-hmm. to get Chris Bassett out of a little a little bit of a jam. He's been great. And if George is okay with hitting fourth, I he should could, be okay. I, he's a he's a vet. Yeah, but like if you want this team to have real World Series aspirations, and he knows what it takes to win one of those. I just don't think the difference between winning and losing the World Series is him not batting first. Like if you're going to win hey, a World it's a Series, game of inches. you lose a George Springer's a former World Series MVP. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's most comfortable in a leadoff spot. You'd think if they're going to have any success, he's probably going to have deli- to deliver contribution out of the leadoff spot yeah. eventually. Maybe he can do that out of the four hole. Maybe it doesn't matter at all where he bats as long as he's in spots where he can drive in runs. And I guess you could be in a better spot to drive in runs if you're hitting lower in the, in the order. You got to make it to the playoffs. You got to make it to a spot that you feel comfortable in yeah maybe if we're talking that we're in the world series sure maybe george springer is the best for that leadoff spot but the next week the next two weeks means a hell of a lot for this team i don't know i don't think that's too much to ask for a guy that's been there to understand that right now you're struggling a bit at the plate uh, i suppose let's and, he, and he is and you're right however if we're actually talking about being serious being a serious baseball team they have to add somebody you don't have yes. mitch what no you don't have mitch white on well, your roster and you don't have a bullpen that is after a tough weekend in Seattle where you're playing competitive games mm-hmm. that look a lot like playoff games that you turn it around and all of a sudden no one can even give you more than an inning. Eric Swanson is gassed. Romano can't go back to back because he threw nine pitches the previous night. And you're leaning on a guy like Yenesis Cabrera and you're leaning on a guy like Jay Jackson mm-hmm. and you have nowhere else to turn because your bullpen isn't that good. Like if you're serious about winning, fine, do everything with the order that you want. But go out and add some guys to this bullpen, and when rosters expand, you can actually give yourself a decent chance to win games that go beyond nine innings or are up for grabs late innings. Because right now, they're just not in a position to win any battle of attrition because they don't have a good enough bullpen. I think this leads perfectly into a big piece that Jeff Passan dropped yesterday. Um, ESPN's Jeff Passan, who had a tree fall on him, by the way. So hoping the best for him. He broke his back. I mean, he's he's writing and tweeting again. So hopefully things are good. The back healed in one weekend. He's all set. Uh, but yeah, that's a, it's a very freak accident. Actually, I was I saw yesterday on the news that somebody in Trinity Bellwoods, the park that I take a little bunky into, had mm. a massive branch fall on her. Just a woman strolling the park. And she was a, a rush to emergency as, as well with serious injuries. So just... Take a look for trees. That's the lesson of this morning. Uh, Jeff Passan wrote in a very, very interesting article yesterday, and I think it leads great into this conversation. If you want to be a serious baseball team, you don't have the pieces fully at this point, of course. Um, quote, despite currently holding the final car- wildcard spot, Toronto hasn't done enough to convince ownership to open up the coffers. What That's a good word. word. Leaving the Blue Jays... mix that in. <laughs> leaving the Blue Jays precisely where they've been all season, the muddled middle. That said... When asked where Otani could wind up if he's moved, three of the most popular answers from executives are Baltimore, Tampa Bay, and Toronto. In brackets, the Blue Jays are a longer shot due to a thinner farm system. Yeah, we know. That is pretty significant. Um, for, let's start with the first part of that. Not sure if the Blue Jays 
have done enough to prove that they should be adding, you know, going all in to management. We are six days away from the trade deadline and you're a series and a half away or a series in a game really of not of knowing if you've done enough to convince ownership to open up the coffers. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a, t- that's a tough spot to be in with six days left, right? You should probably know if you trust in this team or not. And if you don't know if you trust in this team or not, I kind of feel like we might be set up for a little bit of disappointment um, come next Tuesday. I suppose so. Uh, this is how baseball teams apparently operate, though, because the Angels don't know if they're trading show. Maybe the greatest baseball player that's ever yeah, walked this earth. But that's a huge earth. life-altering, groundbreaking. Well, I mean, the Blue Jays should know where they are as an organization. Oh, I right? agree. So, I mean, I kind of get it. Am I convinced that they're an elite team? No. No, no, no. I, I'm not convinced they're a World Series team. They're just not set up right now for it. But if you want to get real aggressive at the trade deadline... If you want to go for it, if you want to make yourself into a World Series contender, I don't think it's that much of a stretch. I mean, you got a lot of good pieces. You got the the, the skeleton of a really, really good potential championship lineup. However, there are so many holes. You can plug the holes, and maybe you mm-hmm. look really good. It's possible that you could plug those holes. And if we're talking Shohei Otani, then we're talking multiple holes with one guy, two birds, one stone. Um, it is possible because there are clear needs, there are clear deficiencies, and there is the ability still to fill those deficiencies. But is it worth it? I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure if this is the time to go all in because where does that leave you next year, the year after that, the year after that? I'm not really sure. And you also have to factor in that Baltimore is suddenly a juggernaut, we, we think that the Tampa Bay Rays are going nowhere, that Boston and New York are only going to hibernate for so long. So if you see this as a possibility and you see this as the best chance out of maybe the next five years to actually do some damage, then you probably should move some chips into the middle of the table and try to get better because there is an obvious, there are obvious needs. There may be a great opportunity here and there might be less opportunity moving forward So I think that's like the conundrum right now. They're trying to figure out, are they good enough even if they make additions? And I don't know if they've proven themselves yet, but also I don't know if they'll ever be in a better position in the next coming years here. Yeah, remember we talked to John Morosi earlier this season where he spooked us because he said that the window might have closed before it had even fully opened. And I mean, I feel like we're seeing a lot, like Bo has looked pretty good. Vladdy's starting to round into form, but Manoa major questions he's one of your young person that you've pictured in your future moving forward i still do think that like one full off season for alec minoe he can find his way back but just the idea that you know jeff passan obviously has a lot of connections like he's not writing this talking to one person i was listening to blair and barker wow i just listened to five nine you really day. you're yeah very supportive and uh, the shows here and Jeff Blair said he fishes in a deep pond. And I liked that saying because, yeah, Jeff Passan is is a pretty reputable reporter and insider. And to say that they don't know still if they have, like, the permission they need to go out and add is understandable as you lay out, but still a problem with six days to the trade deadline. The second part of that um, quote is that Otani is... Uh, in one of the three most popular answers to come to Toronto. Yeah. That one surprised me. And I think everyone was like, oh my 
my God, it's happening. Yeah. Joey. But then he lays out this very next sentence that they don't really have. Um, and we know that. They don't really have a lot to offer for Shohei. So I, we can dream all we want, but I don't know what you're going to offer for Shohei Otani that actually continues to make your team competitive, right? Well, we talked about it a little bit last week uh, on the afternoon. Uh, I think if... I don't. I have no idea what the trade package is going to look like for Shohei Otani. I know if you were going to compare trade packages with, say, Baltimore or the Tampa Bay oh, Rays, you're just not even you're close. not going to be able to win no. it. However, if Baltimore doesn't want to put everything into this season, which makes a lot of sense because they are set up to be competitive for a very long time, and mm-hmm. if you make a win now move and don't win, then you've you know hurt yourself in the future. And maybe the Tampa Bay Rays are, well, they're the the most budget-conscious team, I guess, in all of baseball. And maybe that's not a move they're willing to make. Maybe there aren't as many suitors. And maybe if you get ultra-aggressive and ultra-creative, you can get Shohei Otani. Maybe Alec Manoa, Nate Pearson, uh, Aurelvis Martinez, and Ricky Tiedemann is enough. I mean, I would make that deal right now. I would. I 100% would because I, I'm not as confident about what it's going to look like in, say, 2026 than I am that they're pretty good ball team right now and would probably be World Series favorites if you just injected a one Shohei Otani. Our very own Ben Nicholson-Smith um, did a little follow-up on Tuesday to Jeff Passan's report. Uh, quote, would love to be wrong here, but Shohei A is already on a contender and B, even if the Angels collapse, I haven't heard from anyone who seriously predicts the Blue Jays land him. Quote, makes no sense, one exec said. Emptying minors for a rental would be a huge departure for the Jays' front office. Now with a player as great as Otani, every contender should do some diligence. You never know. And even if industry-wide expectation is that he signs on the West Coast, Jays should still pursue Otani in free agency when he'll be available for multiple years, as they did six years ago. I was reminded that they did a very big sales pitch to Otani six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, I think the West Coast thing makes a lot of sense for Otani, and it seems likely that he would want to stay on that side of the world. Um, but nonetheless, it would be a missed opportunity to not even try. Now, that's obviously the most reasonable take, the more reasonable take. Yeah, and that's Ben Nicholson-Smith, our how, guy. And he would probably, despite how, what was the analogy that you had for passing? He, the waters? Not mine. Jeff Blair. He yeah. fish in, fishes in a deep pond. Fishes in the deep pond, right? Deep with those sturgeon from yesterday. <laughs> ben might be fishing in a more specific, still deep, but specific mm-hmm. pond, a Blue Jay specific pond. So who knows, right? Like I, I, there, are, You talk to different people, they might have different opinions on, on, on a certain thing. But it, what, what are we talking about with the Leafs so much this year? Like job security and self-preservation. And I'm not saying that's a thing. But that this is only a thing you do if you're not worried about the future. And every general manager or most general managers that haven't been told, hey, you have to win this year or you're gone, are going to be thinking about not only this year, but years to follow. And if Ross Atkins is thinking about anything other than just this year, and again, there's some talk like he might, they might have to make something happen this year for Ross Atkins to stick around. But if he's still thinking about 2024, 2025, 2026, if that's still a consideration, then you're probably not doing it. But if he has been told or if he knows that the writing's on the wall and they have to win this year or he's gone, mm-hmm. toast, 
then maybe it's, maybe it's something you do. We've seen that before from the Toronto Blue Jays from one Alex Anthopoulos who went crazy at a deadline and went for it, <laughs> right? And he thought there was an uncertain future for him and he was, guess what, right, right? So it, it depends on what your mindset is as a organization, as a general manager, as management, whatever, so on and so forth. But it's pretty clear. You have to basically neglect the future for the present if you're going to have to show a Otani. And frankly, as a fan, I'm okay with it. But as someone who's employed, you're probably not all that interested in in giving up everything for the right now. I will say it's uh, a very interesting to listen to people interview people because every answer is different. Is Shohei an angel? Oh, most definitely. Is Shohei an angel? No, he's moving on. So we have no idea. It'll be a very interesting next couple of days. We will chat more baseball uh, to round up our show later on. We'll have Caitlin McGrath, Blue Jays reporter at The Athletic, joining us. Uh, but we had some pretty, pretty big news in the NHL yesterday. Uh, Patrice Bergeron, one of the most well-respected players to ever play the game, uh, announced his retirement after 19 seasons with the Boston Bruins. Uh, his his entire resume, his trophy cabinet is stocked with everything you'd ever want. Um, and is, is one of the most, I don't know, I, I think idolized, appreciated players of our generation uh, makes his announcement after some speculation about what he was going to do next with his life, uh, makes this statement a very classy statement. Um, you can take a look at that at the Bruins PR page. Um, just like he, he's salt of the earth. What a guy. Uh, he definitely is. The decision comes one day after his 38th birthday, so number 37 doesn't play beyond 37. Um, I, I, you know, salt of the earth, all those uh, things that you laid out. I think he might be the most respected hockey player of my lifetime. Mm. Like, is there anyone who doesn't have respect for Patrice Bergeron? No. Well, you saw that yesterday because even other, other I've never seen this before, other NHL teams were tweeting out, their thank you yeah. for Patrice Bergeron. Does that happen to many other people that retire? I've honestly never seen that before. Other teams, rival teams, t- tweeting out their appreciation mm-hmm. and respect for a player that's retiring. And it, it just shows so much about who he is. I, and I don't know how he built all that up, really. Like, I uh, I don't know, and we have Andrew Raycroft on later, we'll mm-hmm. ask him about that. Like, I don't know how he got to the point where everyone's admiration coming from everyone, everyone's corner mm-hmm. is present and available to him on a day where he decides to retire. Like, it is very, very remarkable. And it's like, I don't know, it's a, I don't know if it's an old saying or what, you know, your funeral, how people talk about you, that's how you want to live your life, whatever. I'm not really sure. And this mm-hmm. is not a funeral, but this is yet the end mm-hmm. of his hockey career. And that is maybe the measure of a person or a measure of whatever when everyone talks about you after you're gone. And he's gone from the hockey circle and everyone you know, kind of laid it out perfectly by jumping on and piling on and being involved in the congratulations and the respect that was put forth yesterday. So it says clearly a lot about him. I will say, though, it made me feel real old yesterday. Did it? When a guy who was 19 years hanging him up, Mm -hmm. it's like maybe the first career that is long and legendary where I remember the start of it remember the junior team he played on with Sidney Crosby Mm -hmm. and how he was I believe the MVP of that tournament when there was maybe the greatest team ever assembled by Hockey Canada I think he came back because it was the lockout came back uh, after his rookie season with the Boston Bruins 
But it's like, oh, we're getting to that point where we're going to start losing some of these guys, right? And Sidney Crosby's getting up there in age, and Alex Ovechkin's getting up there in age, and we are turning over a generation here, and I think it's kind of starting with Patrice Bergeron, which does make me feel old and does make me reminisce. And yeah, despite the torment that he's given Maple Leafs fans, you're probably going to miss Patrice just a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, he's a player that always gave just a level of competitiveness that you respected even though you hated it. And I know Toronto Maple Leafs fans probably also celebrated slightly knowing that he wouldn't be an opponent that you have to face any longer. First ballot Hall of Famer, that's the end of that sentence. Um, Honestly, people joke about renaming the Selkie after him, but he was a six-time winner. He was in the top five of voting for 14 straight seasons. Maybe there is a day down the road that they actually rename the Selkie after Patrice Bergeron. He won the King Clancy Memorial Trophy, the NHL Foundation Player Award, the Marc Messier NHL Leadership Award. Those are ones that just speak to character, speak to you as a person, speak to your off-ice contributions. And you ask, like, how did he get to this level of respect? I think it is what he does off the ice. And that's a, that's a really hard thing to qualify because we're not in NHL locker rooms. We're not in training sessions. We're not the people that you, you chat with, you know, in the bowels of an arena, but he clearly earned that off ice respect league wide. Uh, you said, we'll talk to Andrew Recroft. And I think that's a really great perspective of it. Cause we know what he's like on the ice. Uh, he's a winner. He's won at every level. He won. He's one of the triple cl- uh, gold club members. That's not something that comes easily. I think there's only 30 um, world World Championship, Olympic gold medal, Stanley Cup, and then he also had the World Juniors and the World Cup of Hockey. Like he won everything, mm-hmm. and what a way to go out um, on your own accord! A very classy message, as we said. And crazy that he never won a Lady Bing, though. That's the one thing he never won. Yeah, and in addition to that, he could have won more. It seems like yeah. like he was shortchanged with maybe they're Olympic. like voters fatigue. Maybe I mean maybe if you're winning the Selkie, uh, you're just automatically overlooked. But like he could have went to more Olympics. He could have mm-hmm. won more Olympic medals. He could have won more Stanley Cups. He had was on great teams that went a long way and just fell short in the end. In addition to the one that they won in 2011, like he was. Uh, a serial winner who is even more accomplished than his like immediate resume mm-hmm. would suggest. Uh, the the respect thing is interesting because you see it on the ice. Like it's evident. Like, have you ever, ever seen anyone take a cheap shot? No. At Patrice Bergeron? No. And it's funny. Cause like John Tavares lives is in the same like vein, like plays the game. Isn't, isn't a rat uh, <laughs> is, is I guess nice to everyone, right? Like doesn't play that game where it's like, you're taking liberties or you're whining. You don't really see that but from a guy like John Tavares. But people hit Crosby and they hit but Alexander Ovechkin. people take liberties on John Tavares. Mm-hmm. I mean, John Tavares got like semi-knocked out by Bergeron's teammate, Zidane Ochara, in, yeah. one, in one of his first series versus Boston. He's getting disrespected the entire Florida series. Gets booed he, when yeah, he hits he, the island. And maybe that's part of it. I mean, he left a team where Bergeron was nothing but loyal yeah. even giving that, back that means so much you know and taking less money in the later yeah. stages of his career taking less money when he was at the peak of his powers to make sure that no one was making more than him there was so much respect that no one even wanted to negotiate a contract that was beyond his like that is the sort of stuff that it's not fake and it's not uh contrived it's mm-hmm. not manufactured in any way he just lived his life and was it was it was all repeatable enough so it all added up and there was no faking it. There was no denying it. He was 
who he was, he was the standard. And just with his action alone, repeatable action, he set some sort of culture that you can't even really put your finger on. Mm -hmm. It's something the Bruins had that no one else really has that you can't just fake. And there have been a lot of teams around the NHL trying to fake and create culture and bring in guys, snap of the fingers, see if it works. Bergeron did it the right way, yeah. and it clearly, clearly paid off for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's going to leave a massive hole in that locker room, um, but he had been there for so long that I, I do think that culture can stay a, a major percentage of it, hopefully. There's guys that have played for a very long time for the Bruins that will carry some of that, and they'll step up to it, too. I think they're really going to feel that absence, and someone like Brad Marchand, Charlie McAvoy. Charlie McAvoy, like they're going to feel the... I don't know, the, the the onus to actually fill some of Patrice Bergeron's void. And I, I think, will say they're in trouble. Though. So I was going to say, now it's very nice to to talk about Patrice Bergeron and everything he's done. But, okay, let's shift to this upcoming season. This looks like a, a roster that needs some addressing still. Um, that center depth is the first question that people have brought to light after talking about how great Patrice Bergeron was as a player. Yeah, Pavel Zaka, Charlie Coyle, Morgan Geeky are your top three centers for the Boston Bruins uh, next year, at least on paper right now. After losing this offseason alone, Bergeron, Krejci, Taylor Hall, Dmitry Orlov, Tyler Bertuzzi, Nick Foligno, Thomas Nosek, and Garnet Hathaway. I mean, that is all. That's a pretty mass exodus uh, out of Boston, who, of course, had a historical season, Mm -hmm. were brilliant, can afford to take a bit of a step back, uh, but they don't look like the same Bruins anymore. Uh, and you know, Patrice Bergeron being a guy who's maybe the best two way forward of all time, it's going to have a big impact and beyond Bergeron, a lot of people left Boston. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see like Jim Montgomery won coach of the year last year for being the leader of a team that was historically great. His measure of a coach comes this year. Okay. Um, tough day for Boston also a great day for Boston sports like they had uh, <laughs> they had the flip side they had their one of their legends retiring and then Jalen Brown signing the richest contract in the history of the NBA uh, without Saudi money without yeah for now a five-year 304 million dollar supermax with Boston I don't even think I heard a whisper of anything of this sort it just dropped on Twitter and surprised a hell of a lot of people that he's the one that secures the bag, um, the richest contract in NBA history. Would you, if I said three years ago, two years ago, someone's going to sign the richest NBA contract ever. Who is it? Would you have put Jalen Brown in your top five? No, I wouldn't. No. I wouldn't. But also, uh, these don't surprise me anymore. Well, now everybody is going to get a supermax. And, and every year it seems to just get bigger and bigger and bigger. So if you're next up, if it's your turn, you're just going to set the new standard. That's how at least it feels uh, in the NBA right now and in a league where salaries are rising and revenues and profits are rising. Unlike the one that, you know, we talk about a lot with the NHL and the Toronto Maple Leafs, how no one like can make more money. They're squeezing three and a half million dollar contracts and being like, ooh. We can't afford this guy. We got to sell off Matt Marie into shreds because we can't make this work. It's penny pinching versus, yeah, we we like Jalen Brown. We'll give him 300 plus million dollars over five years. It is kind of crazy, but I'm getting to the point now where I'm not really batting an eye at Mm -hmm. it. I guess the thing that's most interesting to me is that Boston's doubling down on the Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown partnership. It didn't seem like it was going to be that way 
this the during the playoff run and postseason, like uh, people were saying that I was the end of those two. And they've been immensely successful. Clearly, <laughs> they went to an NBA Finals, they went to an Eastern Conference Finals last year. That means you're playing in a lot of postseason series, and you're a highly competitive team. You've done well in regular seasons, of course. Uh, but something just seemed off, and I guess they think they addressed it by trading Marcus Smart out and bringing Kristaps Porzingis in. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like in the end. It may just not work between Tatum and Brown, and you still have to pay Tatum, and I don't know what that deal is going to look like, but you're paying a lot of money, and I guess you have the wherewithal to do it for a partnership that might not get you there because it hasn't already. Yep, next uh, summer, Jason Tatum eligible for a Supermax deal as well. I think this is going to be a very insightful conversation we'll have with Bobby Marks um, at 7.30 ESPN NBA Front office insider and it, and it may explain sorry to interrupt you no. uh why pascal siakam so desperately wants to so be a that's, toronto raptor that's where eyes go now if that's what if that's what we're we're signing contracts for jalen brown at this point pascal siakam's watching that yesterday saying oh i'm gonna be patient yeah because it's very it's very obvious you just put yourself into an all nba situation which pascal siakam didn't last year but could and you get paid Big time, big, big, big time. This is only a contract that the likes of Jalen Brown, a top 15 player in the NBA can sign because they gave themselves that Mm -hmm. distinction by playing themselves into all NBA. And I guess Pascal Siakam, I know a lot of Raptors fans will be like, look, look at the loyalty, like so proud of Pascal. (laughs) It just may be that Pascal Siakam thinks his best or clearest path to a supermax is with the Toronto Raptors. And if that is the case then it's not all that much of a feather in the cap of the organizational culture in Toronto. It could just be, oh, Pascal sees payday in Toronto rather than anything else, really. Well, we definitely know Bobby Marks will have um, the beat on the Pascal situation. Uh, He's joining us at 7.30. We also have Aiden Hill, uh, Vegas Golden Knights goaltender, Stanley Cup champ, who had an outstanding run, um, became the unsung hero who was sung in the end. He'll join us at 7 a.m., uh, one more thing to touch on before we take a break and do the A-list. Messi. Man, what were we were sleeping yesterday when we were doing our picks because Messi has another performance mm-hmm. that just, it's going to be, it is men amongst children when he gets out there on the field in uh, Miami. Yeah, we definitely missed our chance to bet Inter-Miami, who of course was the worst team in MLS before Leo Messi showed up Mm -hmm. uh, still technically, I guess they're at the bottom of the barrel, uh, but are they going to be an underdog again in MLS? No, that that's it. Like, I I don't, I, they might make the most remarkable, remarkable, holy and miraculous. That's a new word for you. Mm -hmm. Remarculous. Come back in MLS history and win this thing. Maybe they got to be the over team because maybe they're just so bad defensively. Mm -hmm. Maybe that a good MLS team is going to score anyway. But who's stopping Messi from scoring at the MLS level? Three goals now in the two games. Yep, two goals last night. Two goals in 22 minutes last night. So I saw some outrage online. Um, The stadium starts emptying out when he's subbed out in the 76th minute. (laughs) People are leaving after he's got two goals, an assist, a second assist, all that. Because they want, like, I don't know, they're done. Okay, I got what I wanted from this game. I got to beat some Miami traffic. Dodgers fans did that too and missed out on a pretty well, good yeah. ending. I feel like LA traffic. I, I've never been to LA. Mm. I have been to Miami, but never as like an adult driving a vehicle in either. But I think that LA traffic just has a more renowned issue than 
Miami traffic, nonetheless. Like it's probably still both bad. It's probably both bad for sure, but you, you Messi gets subbed out and you just leave the game. Like be well, real fans. Messi fans not in our Miami fans. Yeah, that's it. They're, they're not real they're fans. They're not real fans. They're Messi fans and they got their money's worth and I'll see you next time. That's okay. Is it okay? I'm fine with it. Okay. I mean, it is. I mean, LeBron's probably not staying there. I mean, LeBron shows up on the first day. Mm -hmm. I I don't think, you know, he was there for the first 45. He was there for when Messi got subbed in in that first game. And I think a lot of people are of that that mindset. And it's not, you know, you're going to snap your fingers and everybody's going to be a Miami fan. They're Messi fans first. Okay, well, speaking of LeBron, uh, before we take a break, Bronny James, uh, eldest son of LeBron James, um, hospitalized yesterday after going into cardiac arrest while participating at practice at USC. According to family spokesperson, he's now in stable condition, no longer in the ICU, uh, but a super, super scary situation there. We'll obviously find out more moving forward. They've asked for some privacy, but uh, said their thank you to the team that helped him get there and helped him get um, in stable condition, but a very frightening situation. So thinking the best for Bronny and uh probably scary for everyone involved the teammates just poof i've been around situations like that when i was at university and it is not you don't want to wish that on anyone it was just yeah it's freaky so yeah terrifying shouldn't happen to someone who's you know not mm-hmm. even 20 years old yet i, I don't yeah. think so you know shout out to those who were able to help him because you know it, it, probably something much worse was avoided most definitely um okay let's take a break we got the a-list on the other side aiden hill at seven Bobby Marks, 7.30, Andrew Raycroft, and then we'll wrap it up with Caitlin McGrath. And a reminder that the Canadian women are in action at 8 a.m. They're playing against Ireland. Uh, We'll tee that up a little later as it gets started. And we'll do a wake and rake to round up the show. 5.95.90. The A-list is next. Sportsnet 5.90. The Fan. Now it's time for the A-list. Bing bong. Bing bong. Bing. All right, uh, pretty big weekend ahead at the Rogers Center. Shohei Otani and the Los Angeles Angles, Angles, Angels at the Rogers Center starting Friday night. And we will have the call on Sports at 590 fan Ben Shulman and Madison Shipman. Shohei on the mound. That will be a massive, massive game. So you can tune in here at Sports at 590 the fan to hear it live. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting one. Maybe game of the year. It could be, seriously, the game of the year. Most attended, I'm sure it'll be a sellout. And maybe for both teams, a thing that decides direction because mm-hmm. apparently uh, we don't know exactly what the Blue Jays are going to do. We certainly don't know what the Angels are doing with Shohei. Or the Angles. Or the Angles. You don't know the Angels or He's the gonna Angles? He's going to be working all the Angles on the map for be. the Angels. Um, Canada just announced their starting uh, lineup for today's game against Ireland. Jesse Fleming is back. But it comes at the expense of... Christine Sinclair. Wow. She's on the bench. Intrigue. Maybe she's getting the George Springer treatment. <laughs> uh, she might be. Or the Jordan Romano where she can't go back to back, apparently. We'll see. Uh, no, that's probably a good thing. I would expect, actually, yeah, the Springer bow treatment where she comes on in the second half uh, if needed. Uh, maybe there's a good chance it's going to be needed because Ireland is a pretty tough team. Not mm-hmm. expecting many goals in this one. But Jesse Fleming, of course, is of utmost importance to Canada. So hopefully she's healthy, good to go, and uh, we'll be able to get through 90 with relative ease. Or at least comfort. Comfort. Let's hope so. Okay, so that's a hour away. Um, do you know that uh, MLB Twitter page, unfortunate MLB, 
it's like they post things that age poorly, baseball images that precede unfortunate events. Sure. Anyway, I saw this yesterday, but it was too late to put it in the A-list yesterday, so it's a day behind, but it's still good. Um, So the Reds are at the Brewers, and the Brewers are kind of known for putting funny things up on their score, uh, their scoreboard. So like for you, it'd be like Justin Cuthbert uh, thinks horses are terrible athletes. Like it would, instead of, you know, played at Western University, they put stupid stuff up there. Okay. Um, so when Ellie De La Cruz went up to bat for the very first inning, uh, he hit this ball. It seemed like it was going to be a leadoff home run. Milwaukee, um, makes this crazy outstanding catch to rob him. Like it, Kiermaier-like. The guy jumps basically into the stands to catch it. Okay. So he comes up again at bat in the third inning and the Brewers scoreboard. And this is like a, a photo that perfectly aligns with this. On the Brewer scoreboard, it says, almost hit a home run in the first inning, but didn't. So, of course, you know that our guy, Dilla Cruz, crushes a ball 456 feet at that same plate appearance. And there's a photo of him at the plate. In the background is this scoreboard chirping him and mm-hmm. the ball soaring into outer space. And I just thought, you know nice. what? Don't tempt fate. Don't tempt this guy that is absolutely electric to watch um, as having like some of the best starts ever to a major league career. And the ball is honestly at the top of the photo because it goes into the moon. So just uh, don't tempt fate and you can end up on this Twitter page and it's getting ratioed. Don't play uh, play with fire or Ellie De La Cruz. That's exactly it. Okay, one last one. It's just I needed to read it out loud because I, I, I don't know why we do these things as a society. Skittles is making a limited edition Skittle that is mustard flavored. <laughs> what? So why? Dumb. Yeah, it's uh, going to be mustard flavored Skittles. I just... I. I don't know if anyone in the world needed this or wanted this or asked for it, but sometimes they just come up with these things that are, people are going to buy it just to do it, right? You have to try it. It's a mustard Skittle. It's limited edition. Do you, you like mustard? Would you even try it? See, I would try this just because I want to be, I want to be aware of this weird you want to be aware. Situ- situation yeah. and why we would do such a thing. I don't know. Like ketchup ones, I think would actually be worse than mustard ones. I think I would prefer the mustard Skittle over the ketchup Oof, Skittle. I don't know. I guess. Right? Like, I don't, I don't know. I, like, I can't. It's going to be a debate online. So, five ninety, five ninety. Are you trying the mustard Skittles? I'm not. Limited edition. Not happening. I know you don't like to have fun, so you wouldn't try it. That's, uh, what's fun about that? I don't know. It's getting out of your comfort zone, Justin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pushing yeah, yourself. Can, uh, yeah. It's never too late to try new things. Mm-hmm. Inspire I, I, others. I don't think that's, you know, the most inspirational people on the planet who deliver lines like that. I don't think they're talking about mustard skittles. <laughs> they might be. They might be. Um, all right. Somebody that uh, we enjoyed watching down the stretch run uh, won a Stanley Cup. Aiden Hill. He'll join us after the break. Golden Knights goalie who signed a pretty big contract um, in terms of knowing where he's going to be and betting on himself. He's got locked in with the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll chat about that and his cup parade plans moving forward. He's going to have the, the cup in a couple of weeks. What he plans to do with that. Uh, Aiden Hill after the break on the fan morning show. Sports at 590, the fan.